Hey guys, it's Scott from fxmissions.com. Just a note, I've finished the trilogy of anthologies from the forefront, and all three books are currently available on Amazon. Welcome to From the Forefront, an FX Missions podcast with your host, Scott McClelland. Far and wide, and sometimes here at home, these bold and courageous souls that answer the call to missions have a steely metal that insists pioneering be part of their daily routine. Let's gather today and learn from those on the forefront. Here's Scott. Hi, Scott McClelland here with a special edition of the From the Forefront podcast uh, from FX Missions. We're excited today to be joined by Vidar Ligard. He's been with us before several times or, or a few times on the podcast uh, from Safari Mission. But today we're taking some special set-aside time to discuss something of his new book that is currently, as I understand, in all channels. Uh, Vidar, welcome. Thank you very much. Excited to be with you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks for being back. Really appreciate that. You know, for me, you know, I don't know what you call a person who's writing a book but hasn't published one. <laughs> I don't know what you call that. Uh, that's me, by the way. I haven't finished my uh, book yet, but I'm still working on it. You have my respect because you you punched through and got a, a book from idea to publication. And so, uh, good work, man. Uh, and I know it wasn't easy. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, it's definitely a process, but consistent action in the same direction over time it uh, yields results. Absolutely. Well, that's that's my hope as well. I'm close. I've got the content put together, but we're not here to talk about my book. We're here to talk about your book. So again, you're with Safari Mission. You guys have done a good bit of work in, you know, the various far-flung places of the world, including Africa, where we have also done some work. I'm guessing that you sourced a lot of your material from your experiences. So can you tell us a little bit about the name of your book? And we'll revisit at the end, but go ahead and tell us where folks can find it. And then at the end of the podcast, we'll make sure people have uh, that access at the ready as well. But what's your book called and what inspired you to write your book? Yeah, sure. The, the book is A Fork in the Road, Choose Poverty or Prosperity. It's a practical guide to winning in life. It's available on the safarimission.org website, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, online, uh, any of those channels, it's, it's available. It's, um, yeah, sure, there's uh, personal stories in the book, lots of things we have learned as we, as we work with people, lifting them out of whatever condition they're in and, and bringing them to a higher level in life. Um, I found that it doesn't matter where I travel, whether it's Africa, Europe, North America, I find people everywhere that they have dreams and things that they would like to do in life. But so many times we end up in, in a rut or in a life situation that is different from, from what our dreams are. And I found that the principles that bring somebody out of poverty, it's the same principles that brings people out of whatever situation in life they're in to that level that's that's part of what god's dream for their life is and so that's that's what the book is about very very cool well 
like you have traveled a, a fair amount around the world, some of these various continents and, you know, various countries and, and from one end of the spectrum to the other. But as you mentioned, we're all kind of suffering from the same malady. I think God puts his dreams in the hearts of men, right? And we're stuck with sometimes there's uh, something inside of us that the Lord's trying to work out to his glory that we don't know how to take the incremental steps to to move forward. And so I relate clearly to what you're saying there. And, you know, it's it those challenges on the marginal parts of the <laughs> of life are are very stark in terms of their visibility. But your book, as you're talking about here in your early chapters, chapter one, for example, you're you're saying start with yourself. What does that mean? Well, it's we, we had our Bible colleges in Kenya, just kind of a personal story there. And we had 70 students consistently, and we're looking to grow because we are effective with the ones that we have. So we're looking to get the message out to more people. And year after year, it seems like things don't change. So I start looking at some other Bible colleges and, and countries that are somewhat similar, and they're excelling and doing really well. And I go, man, wish I was the director of the college over there. Or wish I was the director of the college over here. And you kind of start daydreaming about being in a different situation than the, than the one you're in. And I look at some how they're operating and going, hmm, well, that's that's good. That's not really my style. And then I start thinking about, well, what would my five-year plan look like if, if I was over at one of those Bible colleges? And I go, not sure. And I start thinking about if one of those directors would take the college that we have, what would happen? And I go, yeah, I can see it would, it would start growing. And so I realized that the problem is in the mirror in the morning. I'm the problem. Because if you put a high-capacity director of my school, it's going to grow. If you put me over a much larger school, I don't know how to grow it. I would probably try to maintain it. And over time, it maybe would shrink. So I realized mm -hmm. that before things around me can grow, I'm the one that's going to have to grow. And mm -hmm. so it was kind of a wake-up call for myself. And so I actually spent a one full year. I had no goals apart from personal growth was my only goal that year. Um, the mm. school remained the same at 70, but I grew internally in, in a lot of different areas. And then the following year, we started implementing changes and the school started to grow. Mm. So the growth of the school and the things under your, I guess you're under your uh, stewardship, you found that they were actually limited because you were limited. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, it's somewhat of a painful day when you wake up and realize, hmm, I'm the problem. But it's very <laughs> liberating <Wow>. because, <laughs> because um, if circumstances are not the problem, if I'm the problem, well, at least I have control over myself. I can do mm. something about the problem. If the problem is the government, I might not be able to do something. Uh, if the problem is the environment, I might not be able to do something. But if if things around me, they grow or they shrink based on my leadership abilities. And I would say this for, 
for our home, for our businesses, for our churches. It doesn't matter what kind of life situation. I see the same thing. We've we've got some uh, rental properties, and I can see it with tenants. You put in a high-capacity tenant, and uh, when they're done with my property, the value of my property is going to go up. If you put in place a tenant that, that mm. doesn't really have internal qualities, when they're done with my property, the value will have gone down, and I have to go back in there and fix things up. And so I realized that wow. – the circumstances around us, not every single one of them, that there are circumstances we can't control. I understand that. But by and large, the circumstances we are in, they have been created by our thought patterns, our choices, and the actions that we took over the past five or ten years. And so mm -hmm. if we want different circumstances, our circumstances will remain the same in life unless we upgrade our thought patterns, our the way of thinking in our actions. And if we upgrade those, then we will find ourselves in different circumstances in the future. For sure. Yeah. That reminds me of a quote, and, I, and I'm probably going to do a bad job of getting it right, but maybe you've heard it. The level of intelligence that you, that got you into the problem, you know, is not the level of intelligence that's going to get you beyond it or something to that effect. I'm messing up the quote, but the idea is that, you know, how we are is what ends us up in the places that we're in and the spots that we get into that seem, you know, we where we can't get out. And unless we change the hope of uh, our circumstances being different for any uh, extended period of time are not very likely. I think that's what I'm hearing you say, and, and it rings true. And I've heard that in other places as well. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Um, I think it's spot on what, what we're saying here. You know, the majority of people, they, they live their life in similar type of neighborhood to the one that they grew up in because that's the thought processes that they grew up with. And, and they didn't grow beyond that. They just allowed their upbringing to, to frame who they are. Mm. And living in, I think that is one thing that qualifies people to a higher level of perspective a lot of times is traveling outside of what normal was when they were growing up. Obviously, you guys were you're raised in Scandinavia. You and your wife both, you, you lived in uh, the States. You went to Bible school here. You, you established some life here. You also were living in Kenya for a time, and, and you, you've been in different places. So to be able to sew together some of what you've learned in each place when it comes to not how people are different in the way they get stuck, but how they are the same in the way they get stuck. I think that's, you paid a high price to get that perspective because it cost you a lot of moves <laughs> and a lot of uh, movements and a lot of decisions and a lot of difficulty and a lot of things to overcome. So do you agree? Is that part of how you've sharpened up your uh, point of view? Yes, I, I think us. Uh, I've stopped counting how many internationals and international moves we have done. But seeing various cultures, living in various cultures, has definitely helped to broaden perspectives and has helped us, you know, ask some questions and find some answers to some of these things. So it's it's partly personal experience like that, but it's also research, school, the reading of books. I think it's a combination of both.
Absolutely. I've got kind of a curveball question here for you. And I don't know how long you took to write your book, but The Fork in the Road, I'm guessing it may have taken a while from when you first got the idea. But, you know, as you're talking here in the early chapters, you're talking about preparing to climb Kilimanjaro. Now, is that something you're currently preparing to do or is it something you that's now behind you? My office has a picture of myself at the top. So, uh. <laughs> okay, I think that answers the question. And, and I asked that question because I'm, I'm personally very interested in climbing Killy. It's, it's, as I understand, the highest non-technical climb in the world, which means no necessarily, you don't need ice picks and crampons and, you know, all, all of the special equipment to, to get to the very top. So is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. It is the highest non-technical climb. And it's also the tallest mountain in the world when you measure from base to summit. Everest, of course, is higher, but you're starting in a mountain range. Um, Kilimanjaro is a freestanding mountain where the base of the mountain is basically at sea level. So you're going from zero to 19,000 feet if you're going from base to summit. For us, it was five days up and two days down um, that hike. But it, it is a hike. There is nothing technical about it. We have borders that may bring tents, but you need hiking shoes. Um, of course, you need some water along the way and, and different things like that. But uh, no ropes, no ice picks or any of that. Wow. How, how would you say, that you, you mentioned that in your book about climbing Killy and getting ready and being prepared and stuff like that. How would you say that that added to your perspective when it comes to processes, preparation? A lot of people want to climb Kilimanjaro, I think. I, maybe I just think that because I want to. And I intend to uh, climb Killy. But I also know that right this minute, I'm not prepared. So I think when we talk about life or about being effective in any broad sense of the term or any measurable sense of the term, we're talking about preparation, getting ready. You can't just jump out there and climb Killy, I, I don't think. And you can't do it in a day. One time I had a couple of extra days in East Africa and I said, yeah, let's go climb Killy. A lot of people laughed. Why wouldn't I do that? Well, if you did that, you'd probably make it a few thousand feet up and uh, find that you're you're unprepared. There's certainly knowledge that you need you know you can make it very simplistic uh, as long as you put one keep on putting one foot in front of the other in the direction of resistance meaning you're always going up uh, eventually you'll find yourself at the top but you're going to be worn out before you get there because you weren't you weren't prepared mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot of people that say they want to climb but they're not doing anything to get there and so for a lot of people that's a that's a dream that never goes fulfilled and then, you know, we, we work at the base. We actually have a Bible college campus at the base, a town called Loitoktok. Sleep in some of the same quarters that, that climbers use. A lot of people have seen that majestic mountain, wonderful, wonderful views in the morning and snow-capped and, and all of that. But the locals go, um, I have no desire to do it. So they're not going to find themselves at the top. All these people that want to do it but don't do anything, they're not going to find themselves at the top. But the locals can tell you how to do it. Many of them, they know quite a bit about the process. And they can tell you about the lack of oxygen and what you need to do to prepare and 
what the porters will do and what they won't do and, and all of that. So, you know, you can have the knowledge for winning, but unless you actually take consistent action in the direction that you want to go in the direction that the dream is, then the dream will, um, will remain a fairy tale. Mm. So there's, there's a lot of principles that like, we can learn along the way. That last day, the oxygen level is, is so little. So the last climb, we started at midnight, what's called base camp. That's about 16,000, 15,000, 16,000 feet thereabouts is the last place you sleep. We went from there at midnight to summit, summit about eight o'clock in the morning. You take one step. Each step is about 12 inches. So you put one foot just directly in front of the other foot. And for every step, you have to take a deep breath because the air is so thin um, and you need that to take the next step. When I swallow, I feel like I'm completely out of breath. And the whole ascent climb, it, it feels like I've been underwater for about 30 seconds in the pool and maybe 45 seconds. And I'm really ready to come out of that water. That's kind of the feeling you have. And you keep on walking with that feeling for about eight hours. And you're certainly, your, your feelings certainly tell you to uh, turn around and go home. And so you've got this process of going through, am I really ready to pay the price to see that dream come to pass? Some of the women that climbed with us, they said, uh, this is kind of like giving birth. You know, it's wow. uh, once the child is born, you, you forget the pain it took to get there because, because of the joy that you're holding in your arms. And it's the same when you get to that summit. Uh, we saw sunrise on the summit. Uh, I'm looking at some of those pictures and I'm going, wow, it's just, I've been in a lot of mountaintops, but Kilimanjaro is just absolutely incredible uh, up there. Yeah. So um, the next couple of months I go, I am not ready to go back. I don't know if I ever will. Seven months ago, I climbed and I'm going, um, I need to find myself some friends because I want to do it again. Wow. So you're you're thinking about a second second summit at, at Killy. Yeah, I think a couple of years time, I'll find some people that want to do it and probably do it again. But that process is, is similar to, to reaching dreams. You know, it's 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 a certain amount of pain that anybody that's reached a dream, they have gone through in order to reach that dream. And the process of climbing Kilimanjaro can easily be explained. Anybody can do it. You don't have to be particularly in superstar shape. You have to be just normally fit and you, you'll be fine. You're going to make it. It's a process to get there. You can learn the process. Anybody can do it. But it's still, it's, it's some pain points that you have to go through. It's, it's a financial commitment. It's a time commitment. And along the way, you, you can't turn around when you find out that, hmm, today would have been a good day to sit in a chair, enjoy the view from the hillside, and enjoy the coffee. You can't do that along the way. You have to keep plugging if you're going to make the top. Yeah, for sure. And that's how it is. If you want to build a company, if you want to build a church, if you want to build a Bible college, and any dream that anybody has, it's, it's a process to get there. My brother's a pilot. A lot of pain points he had to go through and persevere in order to become a captain. So it's, it's the same with any dream in life. So we talk about a lot about these kind of principles and a fork in the road. 
Do you think that it, as uh, there are critical components, obviously, to accomplishing something? And obviously, the bigger the challenge, uh, the bigger the dream, the bigger the aspiration or the target that you're shooting for, you know, there's additional complexity. Often more time is involved. In a lot of ways, more preparation might be involved. You know, the bigger the the dream or the aspiration there, I guess maybe the longer and more difficult, like they say, the, the higher the peak, the more difficult the ascent or, you know, some of these kinds of quips, if you will. But how is it that in your your mind or in your book or how do you show us in a fork and road. How, how do you show us about mindset? What what is it about the mindset of the individual that is critical to that? I think we have to have a good view about this. And I, I'm not all the way through your book yet, but I'm 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 digging into it. What about mindset? And then how how we perceive God as well? Can you unpack a couple of those things for us? How is it that our mindset is important? And then how is it that our perception of God is also key when it comes to uh, living a life marked by success? Yeah, so I can start with the mindset or the, the, the perception about God. You, you really have to believe that God really wants you to be successful or he really wants you to prosper. I, I find a lot of believers that almost every believer I know that they're working towards success but so many have the mindset that God wants me to only be content where I am and they never make any progress in life. Yes, being content is scriptural, but, you know, if Joshua and Caleb was going to be content with sitting in the desert, they never would have been the two spies that came back and said, let's go at once and take the land. And I can go through example after mm-hmm. example, yes. all through scripture where, David, um, Solomon, Samson, it doesn't, Paul in the New Testament, uh, any of the apostles, um, they were all moving forward to reach more people. And God wants us to do that. So that's that's something that really needs to be settled. I know a financial advisor that I talked to one time and he said, um, my theological viewpoint on prosperity is really different from yours. I don't believe that God wants us to prosper. And yet he's working a full-time job as a financial advisor. He's spending his whole life trying to help people to prosper, but he doesn't believe wow. that God wants to prosper. And I'm thinking, how can you live at peace with yourself when you're, I'm sorry, I don't have a better term, but that's hypocritical. So, yes, God wants us to prosper, and, and there is information about that in the book. That needs to be settled. So we can live at peace with ourselves and yet believe that God wants to work in us and through us in order for us to be a blessing to a large amount of other people. Now, prosperity is not for our own benefit. Yes, God wants to bless us, but he wants us to be a blessing to a large amount of other people. God blessed Abraham, but it also surely made him a blessing both to Jews and to Gentiles. Yes. And the mindset, um, a large part of the mindset is, uh, you know, it's, it's human nature to want to relax. The mindset needs to be that uh, we need to look to be a producer of value for other people. Whatever we earned last month, whether it was an employer or a business customer, what they paid us is the economic value of what we produced. Now, whether we like that value or not, 
whoever paid us, they evaluated that if you're not willing to do what you do for this kind of price, I can find somebody else who's willing to do it for the price I'm paying. That's kind of how basic economics work. And mm -hmm. to go further forward, you have to search and look and answer the question, how can I be a producer of more value? I can do more of the same activity or I can do change the activity to do something that's more valuable than what I'm doing right now. And so the whole focus needs to be, how can I produce value for other people? That's how I will be rewarded. It's, it's kind of the giving and the receiving principle, the sowing and the reaping principle. Most people are focused on how can I get a better couch in my home? Well, it's that, if that's the focus, that's self-centered. We need to get out of that. We need to focus on producing value for other people. And as we focus on mm -hmm. blessing others, that's what a good business does. It's, it's a blessing. It provides good products and services at a reasonable price to other people. When we focus on that, we are going to be blessed in return. Absolutely. So the, the idea there is value contribution. I, I think the mindset you're talking about is how do I create and contribute value? And I think that's what I'm hearing you saying, as opposed to how do I get a new couch? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that producing value, you know, if you're a pastor in the pulpit, you know, so many ministers, they're looking for, I'd like to be a pastor for a larger church. Okay. But what's the purpose there? If you focus on producing more value in the lives of those that listen to your messages, work on honing those messages so that they're more effective for the people that listen, over time you're going to be paid more or you'll have more people come to the church. Things around you will, go, will start to grow when you do a good job of managing the situation that you're in. Mm. Makes sense. And so it's just a, a mind shift in a lot of cases that will help people grow. You, you start with that mind shift, and then there's a lot of practical things that uh, a fork in the road also talks about. Awesome. Well, let me, let me ask you one more thing about that, and then we'll, we'll transition on here. We're kind of coming closer to the end of our time together. Thank you for being here, by the way, and taking time to talk about uh, your book, but I'm just curious, uh, chapter three, the title there, create your future and subtitle futures don't just happen. Somebody's listening to this podcast and they're thinking about a future that they want to create that maybe it seems out of reach, even audacious. Maybe it seems beyond belief. And yet that's the way dreams work, right? God puts dreams in our heart and he a lot of times, it, you know, it requires God to get involved in the dream you put in our heart on our own. It's not maybe not humanly possible. But how is it that that person who's listening now who wants to create a different future? Can you give us a couple of keys? Obviously, we want to leave people with the opportunity to get the book and do a, a get a deeper uh, dive into each and every one of these elements. But when it comes to creating the future. What can you give us in just a couple of takeaways to that person who's listening, who wants to create a new and different future for themselves and their family? Sure. Well, let's take the example of Joshua and Caleb, Numbers 13, chapter 13 and 14 there. They're in the desert. They're the only two that say, let's go and take the land. 
they've got a dream that is much bigger than themselves. In fact, the dream is so big that it, it's going to require God's intervention for that dream to come to pass. And that's how every dream that comes from God is that way. If mm, that dream does sure. not require God for it to come to pass, then we have, I think we've made ourselves our own gods in, in a sense, in, in the fact that we're just relying on ourselves and not relying on God. Mm. So a big dream for Joshua and Caleb, but, you know, they didn't end up in the promised land by taking a passive role in the dream that God has given them. They weren't sitting around just waiting for God to do something. They believed God. They, they, they spoke in line with the promises that God had given them. All the rest of the people said, um, would that we die in the desert? Would that we went back to Egypt? And the Lord shows up on the scene and he says, um, today I'm going to do to you exactly what you have said in my hearing. Joshua and Caleb, they did end up in the promised land, and everybody else, they ended up exactly how they said. They died in, in the desert. So all of those people, wow. they did create their own future. Only two of them, their dreams came to pass because they chose to believe God, and they chose to rely on him, but they actively walked in a path that was towards God's instructions. Later, he tells Joshua that... Uh, Meditate day and night in the, in, in the law of the Lord. Be careful to observe, to do everything that is written therein, because then you will make your way successful, or then you will make your way prosperous. And so it's, it's carefully taking God's instructions, whether it's for our marriage, whether it's for raising our kids, whether it's making our professional dreams come through or the assignment that God has for us. Uh, we have to align ourselves with God's instructions, and then those things do come to pass. But, you know, it's us working together with him. We can't just be passive. Uh, we have to actively do something about this. And so there's a whole chapter about taking your dream, defining it. Some people say, my dream is to have a business. Well, what does that mean? Self-employed, is that a business to you? Or does that mean you, you want something that's... 50 employees and you have managers in place so you're at an ownership level and you lost the checks uh, hit your mailbox you know completely different versions of of a similar dream you have to define it uh, once that dream is defined and you have some goals um, when you have those goals then you can sit down and make plans and then you have to consistently work towards that plan that's how dreams come to pass mm. wow I mean, I think that's simple, understandable, but also shouldn't be overlooked in terms of the missing pieces, <laughs> you know, just to dream alone. Uh, I think there have been a few times where I realized people felt gratification just from the fact that they realized that they had a calling. You know, I've been called by God, and that certainly is part of the initial process to realize the value that God is calling you and there's some specific stuff that he's calling you to do. But the chances of us accomplishing and entering into our calling in any fruitful way, we have to get past the initial gratification that we're called to dig into what is it that we're called to do. Many are called, few are chosen. That verse obviously throws a lot of people off and leaves a lot of people <laughs> curious but I have interpreted that much like what you're saying in a lot of times, 
who is it that, you know, can we, many have been called. We know that many, God called many people for specific things to do and few have been chosen. A lot of the people didn't, didn't prepare themselves for a fruitful engagement in the calling that they had received. That's the way I began to interpret that verse. And I think that really goes a lot with what you're saying. It's not just a matter of, hey, Joshua and Caleb are in the desert and they realize that they shouldn't die there. Now we got to move, we got to prepare ourselves and move in the direction of what we realize is our intended future by God's grace. Is, am I understanding you right? Yeah, I would, uh, I would totally concur. Yes. Very, very cool. Well, tell us a little bit here about how we can get access to your book. Obviously, we're talking about A Fork in the Road by Vidar Ligard, who's been our guest today. Very thankful for you to be here. How can we get access to your book? What's the easiest way if we want it in print? Okay, if we want it on, you know, electronically. And also, any other things you want to mention about the book before we conclude? Yeah, it's uh, very easy to go to uh, safarimission.org. The book is listed there. There's more information about the book, the table of content. Or you can go to Amazon.com and search for A Fork in the Road, Choose Poverty or Prosperity is the subtitle. It's available in print worldwide. It's also available on Kindle. Uh, of course, that's that's worldwide as well. And so it's a mm-hmm. simple matter of just going to Amazon or safarimission.org and uh, pick up the book from there. Awesome. A fork in the road. Choose prosperity or poverty. I may have misstated the uh, subtitle there. Yeah, it's it's a fork in the road. Choose poverty or prosperity. Uh, the book okay. is a yeah. practical guide to winning at life. It gives practical steps, um, even to-do lists and so forth, for how to go from our current situation and uh, move on forward in life. Awesome. Well, that is a very worthwhile subject. As I mentioned before, thank you so much for taking the dream of writing a book to completion, because that's a process that I think a lot of people don't get all the way through. And it's a lot of work. I'm in the middle of that work myself, so I I can appreciate that pain. And thank you for taking time to talk through some of these elements for us. I want to highly recommend to you, each of you, to go out, check out the book, Get, get it on Kindle or in print, however you like it. That's at your preference. Bidar's done the hard work to make it available in both formats and sounds like very conveniently around the world. So, Bidar, anything else you want to say before we conclude? Really appreciate you being here. Well, we appreciate everybody for, for listening in. I appreciate you for having us on your podcast. Along with God, we we truly desire uh, that you shall prosper and move forward in life. Our prayer is that you will take God's instructions and um, see how he will be a blessing in your life and see how your life can be a blessing to to a large number of other people. That's what we believe that God desires for you. That's doable if we will work together with him. Amen, amen. Well, thanks again, Vidar. Uh, Vidar Lagarde, thank you for being here. SafariMission.org. Check out the book. Check out their ministry and what God's added to them that can be multiplied to you for the effect that the Lord is trying to create in and through your life. Really appreciate all your comments and your time. Vidar, do give our greetings to those who are there with you. Look forward to catching up with you again downrange. Likewise, it's been an honor to be with you, and thank you for having us in. 
Yes, absolutely. And I am Scott McClellan for your FX missions from the Forefront Podcast. To contact me or us, please do so at fxmissions.com. You've been listening to From the Forefront, hosted by FX Missions' Scott McClelland. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like more information on today's guest, please go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fxmissions. Please rate our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. If you know someone who should be a guest on our podcast, we're currently reviewing candidates for upcoming episodes. Please submit their name, affiliation, and an essay of why their story needs to be told to info at fxmissions.com. And of course, you can always follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website at fxmissions.com. From Scott McClelland and the whole team here at FX Missions, thanks for listening. Till next time, have a great day.